This episode of General Snobbery is brought to you by butts. Things everyone has. Listen, are you sad with your life? Do you hate your life? You answered yes to all these. Why not try Lao Tzu? Lao Tzu will help you. And that's that. This episode is brought to you by the famous TV show Salute Your Shorts. This is the only brand that Salute Your Shorts sponsors. If anyone else claims to be so... Fuck. General Snobbery is the only brand sponsored by Salute Your Shorts. All other brands claiming to be sponsored by Salute Your Shorts should be killed. This episode is sponsored by Scud Farkas. He died young, but he made quite an impact on the world. What with his yellow teeth and eyes. General Snobbery is proudly supported by the Vienna Museum of Sigmund Freud Sexual Toys. And the new novel by Don DeLillo called My Boyfriend Wears My Thongs. Alright, hey listener, welcome back to General Snobbery, and uh, happy holidays, assuming this is going to yeah. come out around then. <laughs> yeah, around <laughs> Valentine's Day is when uh, we're planning on releasing this one. Right, yeah. <laughs> Fitting the theme of the episode, which is uh, about dads in movies, movie dads. Yeah. This is, how did we come up with this one? Well, it was, um, I think it was when I learned that you were going to be a dad. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> Soon. That seemed like such a leading question, but I literally forgot. <laughs> yeah, by the way, how did how did we come up with this? Oh, that's right. Yeah, let's, let's talk. Oh, about that. yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> let's talk about me. <laughs> oh, yeah. that, okay. Yeah. So, yes, uh, listener, um, my wife is pregnant, and so we are going to have a child. So I am one of these days going to be like one of these dads. <laughs> So, in celebration of Matt's pending dadhood, we decided to do this episode to highlight just a whole bunch of dads throughout our cinematic history and just uh, uh, laugh about them. Yeah, I think this is a great form buster. I think it's a great uh, a great topic because all you have to do is think for a little bit about it. And within about eight seconds of, Sean, you proposing this idea, I was so excited, especially because, <laughs> I mean, already... The, the idea of uh, masculinity, fatherhood, dads. Repressed I mean, like, rage. these are already some yeah, repressive <laughs> rage. Like, these are already uh, crying at sports. Um, <laughs> these are already themes that we tend to talk about in every single episode. And so the idea of specifically choosing some cinematic fathers um, mm-hmm. is just too great. And plus, we get to cover a lot of. We get to cover a whole lot of movies mm-hmm. very quickly, right? And just dissect them through the way of their uh, of their father, right? Yeah, just, yeah. We were thinking of doing a top ten dads kind of deal, but just couldn't really fit our style. So we just have this big list of dads to choose from. But we were both saying, listener, that it's kind of kind of hard to think of them. Actually, like I would I would challenge you for these ten seconds to think of a movie dad and i just i'm curious who comes to mind and um yeah you can email it to us if you want but that's about all we're gonna do about that yeah it's kind of (laughs) hard it's kind of hard to think about 
I know. It, yeah, it was. For some reason, it was difficult. But then mm-hmm. the funny thing about it is, like, we also have a list of about thirty. Right. So it's kind like we have, a, we have a pretty good. Li- yeah, we started to. Once you think of a couple, it then became a little easier to then think of. Well, what were other movies by that director? Like, yeah. we haven't brought it up here, but like, I just thought of another one by way of a theme, and that is, you know, Steven Spielberg movies have these like these themes that run throughout, and while I don't. Am- Oh no, we have we have Goonies on there. But anyway, um, is that what you just thought of? No, I was I was thinking of uh, Sam Neill from uh, Jurassic Park as a, as a reluctant. He he's not a dad, father but figure. he has he's a father figure for sure, and he also has strong feelings about being a dad, right. which are he doesn't want to because they smell. Because <laughs> kids smell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was thinking yeah, about he, JP, and I was thinking about Timmy and Lex, and. Do, do do we get any mention of their dad throughout that movie or their parents in general? Because, like, they run up to John Hammond screaming grandpa and then they're just there. Yeah. But I don't recall mention of their dad or mom. So, you know, it's so funny that I mentioned – I was like, we don't have anything by Spielberg. And then I was like, no, you you put up Chief Brody, you put up the Goonies, and I put up John Hammond. I'm a moron. So I did. I did want to talk about John Hammond as a father for that very reason that he's not a. He clearly must be a father, but right. he's definitely a, a grandfather. And it wasn't until this moment, Sean, that I just came up with a, a bit of fan fiction, a little bit of, you know, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey fan fiction here. So um, I say that because are you aware that Fifty Shades of Grey started out as Twilight fan fiction? I, I am aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. For listeners. So, <laughs> yeah. Hey, listener. Uh, Go and go engage in some BDSM, then get back to us and tell us if you if you knew that. Um, but perhaps, perhaps John Hammond does not have children, but rather he cloned those two kids. Oh, because we we know that uh, he can certainly clone dinosaurs, so it stands to reason that he could clone a human being as well. And these are like fully uh-huh. functional dinosaurs from incomplete DNA. So if you could have the complete DNA of human beings, it seems likely. Um, I forget how long Jurassic Park has been around, but it's quite possible that maybe he had, uh, maybe he had uh, no luck in the love department as a young man, and uh, but he always had the dream of having children. But then he became too old. But in his old age, he also had the scientific abilities to clone things. Right. So he cloned these two kids, pretends to be their grandfather, and in reality, they're just his creation, like doc- <laughs> like the island of Doctor Moreau. <laughs> Do you think he cloned parents for them as well, and just like have these two cloned parents, where he, so he like can at least, at least like refer to them, <laughs> or just raise them in an environment where they like, don't think where that there's don't... parents. There's just one grandfather, and that's what everyone. That's has. the way life works. Yeah, everyone has one grandfather, and that's it. <laughs> I like to think that. I think that's the right. That, that's the fan fiction. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and in Jurassic World two, there is a cloned child. Oh my God! You are right. Yeah, I totally. <laughs> I sometimes, some I'll sometimes forget about that movie, and then someone will say something about it, and I'll be like, "God, did I see that?" I did. <laughs> right. Same here. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember pretty much anything from it except that there was a cloned kid, and yeah, Jeff Goldblum appears for about a minute. Yeah, and, and he also appears for a minute in the trailer. Right. <laughs> he appears yeah. as long in the trailer as he does in the movie. Yeah, he's like top-billed cast. Uh, also a dad, uh, Ian Malcolm. Yeah, he's the dad to many, in fact. he. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I love kids. Yeah, wives, too. Uh. <laughs> does he say that? Married. 
he does. Uh, someone asked him, do you have kids? And he said, oh, lots of them, loads of them. Wyatt's oh, too. Right, right, yeah. We only meet yeah. one of them, though, in The Lost World. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I forgot he's a father as well. Another Spielberg dad that came to mind that we haven't mentioned and I didn't write him on our list is um, Dreyfus from Close Encounters. Yes. A dad who goes insane. Yes, he he <laughs> very much – He you know what he does? He pulls a coop. Pulls a coop? He pulls a coop. He just leaves his family behind for the love of outer space. That's right. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Coop from Interstellar. Yes, Coop from Interstellar. Yeah. It had been a long time since I had seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And, you know, I feel like movies in the 70s sometimes just like ended very fast. Mm. Where it's like, last scene, very quick fade credits. It's like, what? Like, not even a slow fade? Yeah. Um, Jaws ends that way. They're like, oh, time to swim to shore. Credits. It's like, what? Right. Show them yeah. at least swimming for a little bit. It's like 30 seconds after they blow up the shark. Yeah. Um, but Dreyfus from Close Encounters of the Third Kind, I had totally forgotten that, you know, he's obsessed with aliens and he goes insane. And then he just like <laughs> kind of like kisses another woman, I think, for a little bit. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then he just leaves. It's like, right. you just left your family behind. Pretty bad dad. And yeah. Pretty- <laughs> he's like definitely the hero of that movie. But when yeah. you put it in that perspective, we basically see him like going insane in front of his kids to the point where they're like crying and hiding and his mm-hmm. wife is hiding them. And yeah, then he strikes up some kind of weird relationship with another woman who also saw the UFO and uh, yeah, hops aboard an alien ship and leaves without telling anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Unless there's another inter- <laughs> another interpretation as to why that was necessary. It just seemed very, very... um unloving and illogical mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> what spielberg's yeah. up to hmm. well um perhaps we could we could chat about one of my all-time favorite dads simply because we already mentioned the movie a little bit but uh, chief brody chief brody mm-hmm. chief brody's a great dad yeah yeah what do you uh, particularly enjoy about chief brody the captain of no, not the captain. Just the uh, was he's the sheriff chief? of. Yeah. Oh yeah, the chief probably, chief of the town, and hops mm-hmm. aboard the orca with Quint and Hooper. <laughs> Quint, uh, we could talk about him as a dad too, because there is no way that man is not a father. Right. <laughs> he is like the epitome of grungy old sailor who literally loves loves nothing more than to spend. 13, 14, 15 months at sea with all men and then just come to land and just fucking drink and then get back mm-hmm. out on the sea. He's like sailors, sailors and pirates to me are just living embodiments of the uh, Freudian id. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's pretty accurate for Quint. Yeah, which is which is why I, I mentioned to you in the text that uh, that I'm, I'm all the more shocked that Captain Jack Sparrow, a well-renowned pirate, seems to have no sexual passion whatsoever. Right, because you were thinking about him and thinking, oh well, he he would have to have kids because he's you know this swashbuckling pirate. He would have pirate. to have kids, but yeah, when, you, th- when exactly. you think about it, there's like no love interest or yeah, really any sexual display no. throughout those movies. Exactly, yeah. I'm, I don't know. I haven't seen like the 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 fourth one, but that's true. Yeah, I haven't seen like three yeah. through five or however many there are now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, Quint is great. Brody, I think what I love about Brody, and, and I honestly forget if we mentioned this while we were recording or before, um, but just the listener, I know we've mentioned this before, we many times, in fact, but The Onion, a number of years ago, did a uh, film analysis of the, of the film Jaws, and they interpret it through the lens of... Uh, for like basically like a Freudian repression. And, um, <laughs> I just, you have to see it. It's so funny. Yeah. Where jaws is like the shark is the physical form of chief Brody's repressed sexuality. Yeah. yeah. And like, like being led by, by Quentin Hooper, who are, uh, models of people who are, who are comfortable in, with their sexuality. Right. And, um, I don't know something about that. Just, I, I think is so, so funny. And even though that is clearly a joke, I do love the complexity. I think at the very <laughs> least, I know that that, you know, whatever the, the onion, I think the onion interpretation, as we mentioned is like, I think a, a legit psychoanalyst, like Freudian psychoanalyst could, that, that would totally gel with them. But yeah. even though it's meant to be a total joke, I do believe that, um, Brody exhibits that, that deep sort of hidden complexity that, 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 that Freudian interpretation gets at. Yeah. Which I just think, I mean, like he's a contradiction. He, he is afraid of the water, but he lives on an Island. I mean like that, I think is so great. It's such a great, great plot tool. Right. Inevitably he's going to have to go out on the water like Truman. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't believe as a dad, his dad dies or his, his dad, dad is, is, there's a stage death for his dad and that traumatizes mm-hmm. him. Ed Harris is like dad of the Truman show. Yeah. He's sort of like a, like a, an anti-God dad to Truman, who was right. sort of a Christ-like figure. <laughs> dad to us all. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, th- I do think, I actually thought about putting Christoph on here, mm. uh, because Christoph is, he has one quality of, of fatherhood that I think is so interesting, and in that he knows everything about his, his child, Truman. Um, and it's, I think that, you know, that yeah. you know, final scene in the movie when they're right. speaking is so beautiful. Yeah, he you can feel he just like deeply, genuinely cares. But it's like, does he care about this person, or does he care mm-hmm. about like his concept and his like creation of who this person is? Like, yeah, yeah, is there like humanity there? But you can feel like such like warmth. He's like remembering like when Truman took his first step and all that. Uh-huh. But this is also like after he almost drowns him. <laughs> yeah like, in he, a fury he does and um and it is funny that's a good point because does he love him or is it about the show because even when talking about truman's childhood he refers to quote the episode where you lost your first tooth so he right. sees these things as show episodes not as right. events in the life of this person yeah maybe he's just like fondly memor like remembering this time of his own life that truman represents like this like, emotion that he experiences that truman as a kid evokes mm-hmm. yeah which maybe and, is the this uh, what love actually is just this selfish rekindling of things that make us feel good yeah that's true very that very yeah. much i i hear that argument more and more these days sort of an evolutionary argument for love oh really yeah just like turning it into like something it, really selfish yeah and it's almost like it but it's like almost grown beyond selfishness it's like it okay. started it started as like a like a, a, a selfish thing that has then like transcended mere selfishness. Um, mm. I probably couldn't explain it beyond that, but almost like how 
right? Like we, as humans, we evolved to like be able to smell rotten meat so that it wouldn't make us sick. Um, and like, you know, that's still helpful for us, but like, I don't know, even the concept of like something that's rotten is now like concept alone is something for us to be repulsed. I, I, that's probably a bad example, but I'm sure Hmm. there's a better one, but you know, Hey, if you have one listener, email us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, this kind of love that you're talking about, can you think of any movie dads that seem to uh, embody or exude that? Um, the, uh, witch love, like it's this, uh, one that transcends selfishness, that evolutionary perspective <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm excited cause I, I feel like you have one in mind. Oh, um, do I? Oh, okay. Finch, Finch came to mind. Atticus. You know what? I, I have actually never seen that movie. Oh, okay. Have you, have you I, read that book or have you been forced to read that book in school? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, in school I had all these ideas downloaded in my head. School, you know, school, school just is subjugates people. Yeah, school is just an oppressive dad. <laughs> um, I don't think I actually ever read that book. I can't believe okay. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you don't really know To Kill a Mockingbird. I mean, I, I know the the general story of it, but I don't. Yeah. And I, you know, I've seen. I've seen enough kind of clips of the film version with, I think, uh, Gregory Peck as Adam Gregory Finch. Peck. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. But, uh, do you I know don't... who plays Boo Radley? I do not. It's like a, it's like a maybe 10 to 15 second role. And he just pops in at the end, Boo Radley. This is, I think I it's maybe his first film role. And he went oh. on to become a very famous film actor. Is it Hal Holbrook? That's a that's a great guess, but it's, it's not how Holbrook. For whatever reason, I, I when all else fails, I feel like a something that that makes you laugh, Sean, is a good Hal Holbrook uh, reference. That's true. Yeah, you're right. I don't know why. Just yeah. instantly think of him in Into the Wild. He he tries to be uh, Emil Hirsch's dad. He yeah. asks if he can adopt him. That but, is, uh, he is such a good actor. Yeah. That that scene is so good. Oh yeah, it's like one of the best parts of that movie. It that is. and William Hurt, who is Emil Hirsch's actual dad, screaming, "I'm God!" Like he's in a fit, fit of rage, yelling at his wife, Marcia Gay Harden, about something. Wow, you are so right, William Hurt. William Hurt is uh, that is a good good dad uh, in the sense of good dad to talk dad. about. Very much yeah. so. He is. Yeah. He is angry. He is like unimpressed with everything his son does. His son's like, yeah, I got like an $80,000 scholarship to Oxford. And his dad's like, we'll see how that goes. It's like, what the fuck? Are you kidding me? You can't say good job? Yeah, right. They portray him as a horrible person. Yeah, pretty bad guy. Um, yeah, kind of the reason for this guy to go to Alaska and die. Um, but yeah, real quick before jumping into into the wild, um, that actor that played Boo Radley was uh, Robert Duvall. Oh, I wonder if he's related to Shelley Duvall. <laughs> Shelley Duvall, yeah. So, the wife of quite the dad, Jack Torrance. We haven't even thought about him, have we? I think he's he's streamed through my mind. I've just gotten images of Jack Nicholson's... You know that face he makes after he murders uh, Scatman Crothers? I'm trying to remember it. You remember when he kills Scatman Brothers? I do. With an axe? Yeah. He's like hunched over and like turns slowly to the camera like, 
like this really really weird smile um and so that image has like bounced through my mind like oh well there's a dad right there yeah. because from there he goes to try to kill his son yes he does yeah wow hey do you know why i do you know why i said the shelly duvall thing because of that episode when yes. you asked if shelly duvall was related to robert duvall <laughs> Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's only our most dedicated listener will catch that. Exactly. <laughs> so that episode was at least two or three years ago about The Shining. Yeah, that was a great episode. <laughs> that was a very, you know what, that episode, I, that episode, I have very fond memories because I feel like when we recorded it, it actually reminded me, I felt as, remember how there's that scene when Scatman is getting back to the hotel, to the Overlook, and it's uh, like snowing out, and you're watching this horror film, but all you want to do is like get cozy because it's cold and snowy out. Well, yeah. recording that episode, even though that movie is one of the most horrifying movies ever, <laughs> somehow, <laughs> somehow recording that episode made me feel cozy. Like I was, ooh, it's just a winter storm and I'm inside. Just finding the warmth inside of this horrible snowstorm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's nice. Nice to mm-hmm. Nice to be able to do that and not have a psychotic Jack Nicholson chasing you. Very much. It's the thing to be grateful of, listener. Every time there's a snowstorm and you're inside in warmth, just remember that you don't have Jack Torrance trying to murder you, so you can be comfortable in that warmth. Yeah, exactly. So stop taking life for granted and suck it up. <laughs> yeah, suck it up and find what you're grateful for. Stop complaining. Yeah. Uh, another shining dad is uh, Grady, Delbert Grady, who uh, murdered his his whole family. Sorry, my remember phone. Remember him? I um the 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 ghost man, right? The flashback ghost, guy? Ghost man, yeah, you know, when Jack Nicholson gets the uh has the interview and Olman Olman tells him about this previous caretaker who he kind of shrugs and goes murdered his whole family with an axe. <laughs> and yeah, as as the ghost man, um we learn a little more about yeah. Yeah, him murdering the twins or the sisters who look like twins. Who oh, that's right. Danny. Did yeah. uh, was Grady also like that voice that just kind of pops up? Like, because are there multiple yeah. voices? There, there may be. There's, there's Grady when he uh, like he bumps into Jack Nicholson at that ghost party, and they uh-huh. go into the bathroom, and yeah. he's like you know cleaning him off, and then Jack Nicholson's like Grady. You were the caretaker here. You murdered your whole family. And they like kind of go back and forth about that. And then, yeah, after Jack's trying to murder his family and Shelley Duvall locks him in the pantry, we get Grady's voice basically telling him that he's doing a terrible job. That's right. Oh, much like the voice of a father. Much like the voice of a father. There is a, when I watched that movie again recently, there's a lot about like masculinity and like, um, Jack's discomfort with his own masculinity. Like there's a lot around him, like needing to prove something. Like even when he scream, he yells at Wendy early in the movie and just blames her for like all the success he hasn't had. Hmm. Like saying that she's always like gotten in the way of like him becoming all he could be like this writer instead of a teacher or whatever. And like when Grady's kind of ribbing him, it's like very much like, like you're letting a woman do this to you, like this overtone, undertone, like you're pathetic. And he's like, no, I can do this. Like I never picked up on that before, but it's definitely uh, something going on there. 
Wow, I wonder I wonder how that relates to the fact that the movie is about the moon landing. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder that too. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> well, clearly my interpretation's wrong because it's just about it's just the moon landing. Yeah. And Remember he's in the, the stage. he's in the pantry and there's Tang. Right. He's in the pantry and there's Tang and Danny wears an Apollo 11 sweater. Therefore, Stanley Kubrick staged the moon landing and is apologizing for it 15 years later. I, love, I love the idea that it's an apology. I'm going to apologize yeah, by making gonna... the most symbolically complex film ever. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. All this conspiracy there is. Just get some in their mind and mm-hmm. everything all of a sudden supports it. Yeah. What's that word you taught me? Um, connections. Is it apophenia? Yeah, apophenia. Apophenia. Yeah, making connections between things where there is no connection to be made. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, it's a good one. Hmm. But before this, we were you were you were riffing a little bit on uh, Holbrook William Hurt. Yeah, in Holbrook. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah. just um I mean that is so that is so funny. Two different characters. I mean, yeah, William Hurt in that movie. And I know we've talked about him before. Like I I've heard that he's just a, a mean, arrogant guy. Who knows if that's true? <laughs> I mean it's <laughs> Who have you very heard easy that from <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Who have you heard that from? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like my, my, buddy, my buddy Jim told me. <laughs> But it's so funny because he he does always play a fairly arrogant. He always plays an arrogant character. Like I've I can't yeah. think of a single movie he's been in where he doesn't. Except for do you remember the movie The Doctor or The Surgeon? I just, uh, oh oh no. really? Mm. Oh you didn't you didn't see that when we were in high school together? <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm pretty sure we saw it in high Most school. Zoned out. Oh really? Is it like a religious movie? I think, no, it. Uh, it's about like self-realization. <laughs> he plays an arrogant doctor who has cancer and then he learns about life by going to these chemo sessions and he like talks with Uh-oh. other people who have cancer and he like realizes that his he's just been so arrogant. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sounds like some Tuesday with Tuesdays with Maury vibes. Exactly. Actually, yeah. I, don't, I don't really remember anything about Tuesdays with Maury except that in the movie Hank Azaria goes to talk with this elder named Maury and learns things about life. <laughs> <laughs> exactly not to be confused with the forthcoming book tuesdays with life coach <laughs> <laughs> written by you right exactly yeah <laughs> yeah 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 um, listener uh just keep your keep your eyes out for some general snobbery books one of these days they're coming and one of them will yeah. be tuesdays with life coach mm-hmm. yeah, i think you'll like them you'll uh they'll remind you that the things in the world are some things in the world are supposed to be silly and you can learn lessons from funny things. Um, yes. These are not things that our society is too good at these days. Um, anyway, I'm stepping True. off my pedestal. And instead, I'm going to step <laughs> into the world of, let's see. Oh, uh, hey, can we talk about Theoden, King Theoden? Yeah, it feels like time to talk about King Theoden. Yeah. <laughs> so before we talk about Theoden, I think it's, it's great to talk about... Um, how we should think of Theoden, which is the way that Sean, you proposed um, comparing King Theoden to King, is it Edward Edward Longshanks? Yeah, Longshanks from Braveheart. <laughs> yeah, so we have two kings, 
two sort of medieval medieval esque kings um who are just so different and uh <laughs> they both make for great cinema, but they're so different. Yes. Very different. Yeah. How about you describe that difference? Um I I <laughs> I King, so Edward Longshanks. I mean, here, Sean. Sorry, you won't get this, but some listeners will. Edward Longshanks oh. is totally Tywin Lannister. <laughs> Game of Thrones. <laughs> I, know, I know instantly. It's got to be Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, um, I've been thinking a lot about Game of Thrones recently, and Sean, I think I told you this, but if I haven't, I, I would like up until about season five of that show, I would have recommended that show to anyone. Um, by the time seasons seven and eight were done, eight was the last season. I no longer can recommend in good faith. I can't re- recommend that show to anyone. That's how bad the final seasons of that show were. Um, that's incredible. Yeah. And I've heard that consistently from people. Yeah. They retroactively ruined the show, like ruined it. Wow. Cause there's no point now. That's yeah. Yeah. Right. If it doesn't come to any kind of satisfying conclusion. Yeah. Yeah, it does have this retroactive effect. Yeah. Huh. So, um, anyway, uh, Edward Longshanks is very much like uh, uh, Tywin Lannister. He is just, uh, he's all about power. He's about maintaining authority. He has seemingly has no regard for anyone else to the point where, and of course we have to talk about this, Sean, he, he throws his <laughs> son's best friend and what we know to be lover out of a window. And he doesn't yeah, right in front of his son right in front of his son and all because and i also if you're old enough to remember the 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 two cassette version of that film that is where cassette one ended right at the end of that scene okay yeah so nice good trivia there yeah um his name is philip he is the prince's military advisor and Edward Longshanks, who's already in a bad mood because he just learned that his nephew was decapitated and his nephew's town was destroyed and captured by William Wallace. Um, he he is so offended by Philip's audacity to offer military advice. Mm. And, and Philip says, I am trained in the art of war and military tactic or something like that. And Edward Longshanks, who's already not in a good mood, but knows how to hold his emotions tight. <laughs> Instead of yelling at this guy and be like, fuck you. How dare you speak to me? I'm the king. He just politely puts his arm around Philip, walks toward the window, just like two old pals having a conversation and says, tell me, what would you do in the present situation? And he throws him out of a window. (laughs) He screams for a good two seconds. So he's like several stories in the air, falls dead. And these guards see it. And then they see the king did it, and they just sort of like turn around and go about their business. Yeah, <laughs> just a normal thing that Longshanks would do. Yeah, he's a yeah. he's just an utter tyrant, and he wants to preserve his power, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. His son's horrified. He's very, very bad father to his son. Just ridicules and traumatizes him at every opportunity possible. Exactly. And the movie casts his son in a very negative light as well. Like mm-hmm. he's quite effeminate, mm-hmm. um, and we don't think. I, th- I feel like it's pretty clear Mel Gibson thinks that is um, something of ridicule, <laughs> an effeminate man. Wow, you're so right. That's a really good point because Edward Longshanks has this. He's very, very tough and mean, and uh, you could almost you could almost imagine 
even if it wasn't intentional, why not? Why not just thrust, thrust this upon Mel Gibson? You can imagine that Mel Gibson's like, hey, this guy might not be nice, but it, at least he has good qualities <laughs> in that he's strong. <laughs> yeah. yeah, strength is strength is good, but this is a bad way of using strength. Exactly. <laughs> William Wallace is strong, but his is a good way. Right, because you can tell because he gets crucified like Jesus at the end, and that yeah. is the best thing that can happen to a Mel Gibson character. Oh, easily. Yeah, it's the ultimate redemption. Mm-hmm. And we even see him, um, he does pray a couple times, several times. We see him make the sign of the cross before a battle. Some monks Longshanks? Are... No, no, not Longshanks. See, that's the thing. Oh, uh, Wallace. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Longshanks is probably a, a Protestant. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so contrast that with King Theoden. Now, here's what I, I just think that King Theoden is one of the best examples in movies of a character's transformation. Like he, Hmm. it's like he rediscovers. There's just something like just, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like he's truly like reborn and his virility is, is brought back. And, and he is, he is like the quintessential good King. He is like everything a good King should be. Like by the end of the film, he is his story has just totally transformed, and mm-hmm. he is honorable beyond belief. Right, he's yeah. just so amazing. Yeah, he really is. Uh, a listener, I just watched Return of the King, the extended edition, the other day, Ooh. four hours and twenty minutes, and uh, quite a bit of Theoden in that. And I realized there was a, there was a couple scenes where he like he talks either to Aragorn or about Aragorn, and he respects Aragorn tremendously. And because he loves Aragorn and because I love Aragorn, I love Theoden. Exactly. <laughs> I realized how that was happening. That's so great. And uh, yeah. if, if you're a bit of a, a Lord of the Rings nerd, you might know that uh, while this isn't explored in the film, um, Aragorn is very old. Aragorn is much older than he appears to be. Um, he's in his 80s. I think he's 87 years old because he is one of the Dunedain. <laughs> anyway uh, but he um, as a younger man Aragorn rode with Theoden uh, when Theoden was young so they they really? knew each other yeah they fought in wars together okay. when they were both very young men before Theoden was even king and so oh. um, but there's just this you know this idea that someone can can become like decrepit and ossified but then rediscover rediscover nobility i mean that scene right. when when the spell is cast off him and he regrips his the sword. two towers yeah and the two right. towers yeah um he regrips his sword it's so good doesn't doesn't gandalf kind of uh get that spirit out of him because he's he's possessed and just looks like i mean older than richard harris and harry potter too like just really really old and just kind of like mumbling He's possessed by that, uh, was it Worm Tongue or something? Oh, that, yeah, Grima Worm that Tongue. Creepy, yeah, Green Face Guy. And uh, yeah, just kind of <laughs> instantly banishes him and starts to kind of like lean back into his nobility. Yeah. And I think, I think King Theoden could be a, a good metaphor for... So here's something I've been thinking a, a lot about, Sean, and I, I think you and I could probably go on for a long time about this, but in the era of the Trump world, something I've noticed is that there seems to be 
you know, there's a, a classic part of uh, of the uh, sort of arc of the average man is a midlife crisis. Um, but there seems to be I've been noticing something like an an older thing happening to men where they become very irrational. And I'm thinking of someone like Rudy Giuliani, who at one point in time, I mean, like uh, back in the 90s, people had plenty of like critiques against him, whatever it might be. But, you know, there was a period of time where he was even referred to as America's neighbor. And then he just decided to take this swan dive into an. (laughs) (laughs) Did I say neighbor? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) That was Mr. Rogers, but yeah, America's mayor. (laughs) Yeah, Hanks. Hanks. Uh, Yeah, he was America's mayor. I almost did it again. And then he just decided to take the swan dive into utter insanity. And I've heard a lot of stories. And there are other examples of like, wait, these are people who for 60 years were rational. And now they're just starting to believe these clearly irrational and clearly fake things. Um, and it just goes to show what corruption can be like. And and Grima is sort of like an allegory for like fake news who just like it whispers in the ear of these people. Oh, like, don't be be afraid of him and blah, blah, blah. And, and he's a servant of Saruman, <laughs> Putin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, and just... I've been thinking a lot about this. Like, what is fucking causing these fucking, like, 65-year-old men, 70-year-old men to just, like, go from believing things that are within the realm of reality to believing and promoting things that are clearly false? Um, so so King Thading sort of – I see that in him and that he's been corrupted, corrupted by, by Grima and by Saruman and – but he does have the capacity to sort of return – to that sense of of nobility and mm. truly lead. I mean that oh, I mean you just watched it the other night but the when when the writers from Rohan save the day uh mm. at Minas Tirith. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, when uh when the call comes from Gondor, Aragorn yeah. comes running in yes. yelling that is there and there's that that huge epic moment you just like hover on Theoden for a few seconds. It's like, and Rohan will answer. (laughs) So good. Yeah. And he is, um, he's got a couple kids too. He's got the daughter and, um, is that that other dude? He's got a son, right? Well, one of his sons dies in the two towers. Okay. Um, But the the girl is actually his niece, Eowyn. Oh, really? Yeah. Eowyn's his niece. Eowyn and Eomer are his uh, niece and nephew. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So, so his he's just got a son that dies in TT. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. So still qualifies as dad. Exactly. Yeah, and he um he was in his spell when his son died, so he didn't. He came out of his spell, and he goes, "Where is uh, I think Theodred. Where's Theodred? Where's my son?" And then we uh. fast forward to the scene when he is at his son's burial, and he's like holding the flower. Do you remember that? No. Oh, it's this it's great been a bit scene. Since I've seen that one. Oh, it's so good. And he cries and he says, "No parent should have to bury their child." And he breaks down crying. Oh, and it's yeah, so yeah. it's really touching mm-hmm. and it's like this is this is a this is a noble person. This is a good soul. A mahatma, yeah. if you will, a great soul. 
Mahatma. Yeah. Um, you t- you mentioning him crying just quickly linked me to another person I didn't realize until now was a dad, and that is um, the Big Lebowski. Um, not the dude, but the Big Lebowski, who is the father of Maud Lebowski. And there's the scene when he's at the fire. He's just repeating, strong men also cry. Strong men also cry. God, As right. Philip Seymour Hoffman is weeping nearby. Why? Why is he? Why is he weeping again? What happened just then? Uh, Bunny has evidently, apparently been um, kidnapped. <laughs> oh yeah, and that's when they bring in yeah. the dude. Yeah, they bring in the dude to act as courier. <laughs> that movie is so fucking amazing. Like that movie every time. I mean, because I just it really everyone they've referred to it. I've heard people refer to it as a, a noir film, and I'm like, yeah, how, how is totally. this noir? And then I'm like, well. The dude is basically playing the same role as, like, an old-fashioned noir detective. Yeah, exactly. He's like the sleuth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just did not choose that and doesn't really want to be there. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It's so good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, Theoden is also a, there's quite the contrast in Return of the Kings, King with uh, Denethor. Denethor the second. Yeah, Denethor the Second. Who's also a dad, and he is a dad who almost burns his son alive. Yes, he does. He he resents Faramir so much. Yeah, yeah, to the point where Faramir, I think, very blatantly asks him, like, do you wish that I died instead of Boromir? And Denethor says yes, right to his face. Yes, he does. In... uh, what is it, in my opinion, following that then, because he sends him off to, you know, re, you know, to retake us, Gilead. Um <laughs> Right. Yeah. Simple task. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> uh, and then, Den- and then Pippin sings that song, great scene. And, uh, in what is my opinion, the best buffet scene of all time. I know of not a better buffet scene when Denethor sort of makes his plate chicken, you know, Mm-hmm. Tomatoes. Yeah, and there's all these close-ups of him like uh-huh. eating food. And yeah, very exaggerated Spice sound effects to, yeah. to make him seem grotesque. Starts bleeding. <laughs> he starts bleeding. Peter Jackson loves the occasional close-up on a mouth, I've noticed. Uh, yeah, right. There's that weird uh, orc guy that comes out of Mordor and yeah. basically only see his mouth before Aragorn chops his head off. Yeah, you know, it's I've, I've heard Peter Jackson talk about that character and he's like, I wanted him to be unnerving, but I didn't want it to be obvious how. So they, he was like, because you only see his mouth, they were like doing things with his mouth. And what they ended up doing is they, they um, sort of in post-production, they enlarged it to be like, uh, uh, one and a half times the size of a normal mouth, so it seems like just in your face. Yeah, and it's like it's un, uh-huh. it's un, they what they tried doing. They actually considered turning the mouth ninety degrees. So whereas like a normal mouth would be, um, you know, like this, they tried making it like uh-huh. up and down. Oh, okay, like a uh, a Bert 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 head shaped mouth and yeah. instead of an Ernie yeah. head shaped mouth. Yeah, a Bert head. <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious. Yeah. Um, so this, you'd say this buffet scene is better than the one from, uh, Hook? Oh, that's a good point. Um, 
Yeah, I don't segueing into another dad. Yeah, you're right. I don't. I, you pr- probably can't compare him. Yeah, uh, there's a pretty yeah. good buffet scene in uh, Mortal Kombat as well with Kano chomping a giant. Oh, a turkey, giant turkey leg. leg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, did I ever tell you that I for years I thought that Kano was played by Bob Hoskins? <laughs> I think you mentioned that. <laughs> yeah, because. They have the same accent, sort of this like working class London Co- accent. Cockney. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I know. <laughs> right. Bob Hoskins with Smee. <laughs> yes, Bob Hoskins with Smee. Hmm. What a great character. Smee is just the, he is the, uh, the yes man. He's the classic yeah. assistant. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's yeah. almost like the Dwight Schrute, but he, you know. Of, right. Uh, yeah. But yeah, panning. Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned him. Um, yeah, I guess uh, Hook and Shmee kind of try to take his his kid, Jack. Yeah, they try and take Jack, and you know, Hook, Captain Hook, does a good job of turning Jack against Panning once he's taken because he makes Jack remember all those all those games or whatever he says. Your father missed. I don't know. I'm not doing a good yeah. Dustin Hoffman, Captain Hook accent, but uh, Jack, no, uh, Panning, he is the opposite of a child. He loves, he, he is an overworker. He misses his commitments to his children because he prefers to work. He resents his kids. He gets really mad. He's afraid of flying, which makes you think uh, he, he's lost that childhood spirit. Um, mm-hmm. Spielberg again. Spielberg again, for sure. And he has to go to Neverland to to reclaim it. Yes, he does. To, to find it again. Yeah, he has to learn to hang out with lo- young boys to discover his mm-hmm. own young boyness. Right, a whole gang of them, like fifteen to twenty. <laughs> yeah, like all I want to do, which perhaps I, I've I've wanted. You know that movie even when when he meets Tinkerbell, panning, he says, "I'm having a I'm having a hallucination brought on by a Freudian something." He mentions Freudian. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder, I don't know if this is like Freudian per se, but this seems like um, panning could very well represent sort of this innate uh, childness, childishness of grown men who want only to return to the freedom that young boyhood permits them. No rules, no parents, eat what you want. Play with bows and arrows, and all you have to do is fight off the big adults. <laughs> yeah, just get rid of that old superego. Yeah, I don't want to be an adult. I just want to be a kid forever. <laughs> forever. <laughs> it's very kind of escapist if you view it from like that perspective. And it's like, man, this man is yeah. shirking his duties. He has a family, and all he wants to do is play with these boys all day. Right, yeah. Just jump around and learn to fly. Mm-hmm. There's um, there's definitely some evil dads in here, um, <laughs> such as Vader. Vader, pretty pretty classic dad. <laughs> yeah, he wants his son to become evil. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh huh. And he knows it's you're right until the end. Yeah, and he sticks up for him by electrocuting that other bad guy. Right, throwing him over a over a ledge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's funny because he knows it's evil because. It's called the dark side. Right. 
It's not like, you know, normally when people are evil, they think they're good. They, they think they're doing something good. He knows he's bad. Well, maybe he thinks he's beyond good and evil. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought, so in reference to the Nietzsche book. <laughs> yeah. I quickly looked over because I, I have a couple books by Nietzsche, but I don't have Beyond Good and Evil. What, what do you got? You got uh, Twilight of the Idols? No. Gay I have, Science? I do have the Gay Science. Okay. Uh, and I have the Birth Zarathustra. of Tragedy. What's that? Oh, no. Birth of Tragedy. Yeah. No Zarathustra? No Zarathustra. I wish. Mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, also Sprock. Zarathustra. Yep. Yeah. It's great. Hmm. Vader, Dr. Evil is a dad. Uh I was thinking of Harry Potter, and uh, Lucius Malfoy is a pretty good dad. Oh, great. I love Jason Isaacs. (laughs) Jason Isaacs. I would die for that man. (laughs) (laughs) Like, even if you didn't know him and he didn't know you, but someone said, like, (laughs) if you love Jason Isaacs, I'll kill you right now. You would do it. Yeah, I would admit that I love him. (laughs) (laughs) He's excellent. I love um, a couple times when we've talked about Harry Potter before, I have referred to him as Malfoy's dad. And then I forget he is also Malfoy. He's Malfoy. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Malfoy. (laughs) What kind of dad is he? Because as you know, I have not seen any of the Harry Potters. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You are to Harry Potter as I am to Game of Thrones. Exactly. Yeah. He's um hmm. He's 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 a little more complex than a Vader dad. He's mm. on the dark side for mm-hmm. sure. Kind of a notorious bad guy who is one of Voldemort's fiends, Ray Fiends' um main followers. Mm. But he's also kind of a coward, you know, kind of flips mm. To the good side when Voldemort lost power and found his way into the Ministry of Magic. Um, so he, like, pressures his son, Draco, to be more loyal to Voldemort, but it's kind of out of fear. It's like it's like he doesn't really want to, but he knows that if he doesn't, he's just going to get brutally killed, and so will his family. So his son kind of hates him by mm. the end, but also, like, fears him. But yeah, he's pretty much just a big old asshole for most of the time. Especially to the Weasley family, who he thinks are lesser than him. Mm. They all have red hair and yeah. don't have money. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't have money. Yeah. That's so yeah. funny. I do remember... I've, right, yeah. I've seen some clips of, of the various movies, and I do remember his. the Weasleys do seem to live in a very sort of, like, working-class house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a continual theme that they don't have much money, and they're all they all have like hand-me-down clothes mm. and books and stuff. And the Malfoys are quite wealthy. I see. Yeah, and um, the uh, and the Weasleys, their last name is similar to a Weasel. True. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's a good. good. Point. <laughs> uh, you know, one dad I'm a big fan of is Uncle Frank. I'm glad you put that on there. From Home Alone. Yeah, he is such a jerk. <laughs> he is such a jerk. <laughs> such a big enough jerk to call a eight-year-old kid a little jerk. Exactly. <laughs> All because that little kid, I mean, made an accident with, with the pizza and the milk and whatever, but... Uh, <laughs> made what a- an accident. <laughs> yeah, after, after his older brother Buzz was just like completely ridiculing him and mocking him for the fact that his favorite pizza had been eaten completely already. Yeah. He's already having a bad day. <laughs> Talking about a scapegoat. 
Yeah. Little Kevin totally. McAllister is just this giant scapegoat for the entire family. He really is. And in the second movie as well, when he's called a trout sniffer. <laughs> By Buzz, yeah. His By Buzz. older brother. Yeah. <laughs> Devin Rattray. <laughs> He, he made a bit of a comeback, a little bit of a comeback, and I have seen him, uh-huh. yeah. particularly in an episode of the show Louie. Did you ever see that okay. show? No, I, I didn't see Louie, and yeah, definitely not allowed to watch it anymore. That is true. Um, yeah. But a number of years ago, um, Devin Rattray was in an episode of Louie, and he did an amazing acting job. It was it was amazing. <laughs> he like what got upset, and he was trying to hold back tears, and it felt so real. I was like, holy wow. shit, this guy's a great actor. Yeah. Who would have known with Buzz? <laughs> I know. Oh, Buzz. Buzz is a great character. He's an icon. He just, he belongs in the Library of Congress as being culturally significant. Right. <laughs> Buzz in general. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Uncle Frank's a big old cheapskate and uh, the father of Fuller who wets the bed oh, that regularly. Whole family sucks. And you know what's so funny? The, yeah. the, do you remember Uncle Frank's wife? I think her name is Aunt, uh, yes. Aunt Leslie. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh huh. She, she was probably forty in the movie, but uh, right, right in the nineties, like she looks like she's about sixty because like there was like a hairstyle where it was like let's do a nice tight white perm, and mm. she just looked just this style. You know when you see people like from like a previous era and they just look older, even though it's like like if I right. looked at like people who graduated from high school in nineteen seventy, I'd be like they look so much older than me, even though the fact that they're totally. like fifteen years younger than me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Totally. The old person style. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And Frank, Uncle Frank, just genuinely looks like at least sixty. Mm-hmm. He just looks like an old guy. Yeah. Yeah. Bald. The Home Alone dad. Yeah. Uh, John Hurd. It's a pretty good dad. Mm-hmm. But neither of those two are my favorite dad from Home Alone. <gasps> old man Marley. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I was so happy to see that you put that on there. <laughs> old man marley yeah <laughs> what a what a great uh father character arc Mm-hmm. father and grandfather mm-hmm. yeah he's he's kind of a father he's he's first terrifying to kevin McAllister, who because of buzz buzz tells kevin that he murders people and like <laughs> puts them in a salt buckets or something that turns the, the bodies South into Bend mummies shovel slayer yep Turns the bodies into mummies. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he's just a genuinely good old man, and he is sad that he had a falling out with his son. Yeah, and Kevin McAllister counsels him so that he can see his granddaughter again. <laughs> Kevin <laughs> <a> McAllister. <laughs> Kevin McAllister. I'd love to. I'd love someone to do a psychological profile of that kid because he is yeah. he is either like the smartest, most genuinely kind kid, or he is a master manipulator because like he mm. always says the right thing. <laughs> And it's, yeah. I think he's a manipulator. I think Kevin McAllister might be a sociopath. Um, yeah, I mean, he gets great anyway. pleasure out of torturing these two robbers. Yeah, even to the point where he does it again in the second movie, despite the fact that it would have been very easy to just go up to any police officer on any street corner and be right. like, those guys are trying to kill me. Right, yeah. He just does it for the sport of it, it seems. In yeah. increasingly sadistic <laughs> ways as well. Like, it just gets more horrific mm-hmm. and gruesome. And funnier. And funnier, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, dads are pretty big in Christmas movies, you know? Yeah, you're right. Jingle all the way. And uh, the Santa Claus. 
Santa Claus, yeah, and a Christmas story. Christmas, yep. Yeah. Darren McGavin, who, yeah, who also plays uh, Billy Madison. Shooter dad. McGavin. <laughs> Shooter McGavin. <laughs> Not a dad as far as I'm aware, but still worth talking about Absolutely. in any context. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Well, I don't think we can have any dad conversation and not talk about Sean Connery from Indiana Jones 3. I agree. I liked how you were really excited about that one. Yeah, it's, it's, this is one where it's like, yeah, we could talk about him, but it's it's more like just talking about him out of respect. Just got to respect Sir Sean Connery, who passed away mm-hmm. in, a couple months ago at the age of 90. And uh, yeah, when, it, when we were thinking about this and was thinking of movie dads and it was kind of hard to think of some at first he was one that instantly jumped to mind yeah he's a good one yeah yeah just th- to be able to play indiana jones's dad after indiana jones has had two movies two big movies one of which um he infiltrated the thuggy cult <laughs> and came out alive and to just have this new character pop in and like even upstage Indiana Jones in a way to the point where he's just as entertaining, if not more entertaining to watch. Pretty remarkable feat that maybe only Sean Connery could have pulled off. That's a really, really good point. I can't imagine any other actor doing that. Yeah, not even Gene Hackman. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly not Mark Rylance. (laughs) Definitely not Mark Rylance. Yeah. Brando or Pacino, maybe. Good point. Yeah. Brando yeah. by that age was probably uh, just angry and strange. <laughs> 400 pounds. So I mentioned the island of uh, Dr. Moreau earlier, and I, I watched a little video about how crazy it was the making of that movie, and it's just insane. Yeah. You said that's some, some extra or something. Some camera person got di- fired and became... It was the director. The director basically like started a guerrilla campaign in the woods to like sabotage the movie. Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> he was just pissed. Yeah, he like lived in the woods for weeks in hiding and then just like snuck back on and became an extra somehow. <laughs> just, started like, feeding ter- ideas to people. <laughs> Refused but, to leave. Yeah. Oh man, but uh, yeah, Connery. I mean, it's a great. He's a he's a great dad. Right? Indiana Jones is already so iconic, and it's like he's this smart adventurer. His father's more the bookworm. I love the scene when young Indiana Jones, played by River Phoenix, comes in, and his father's. He's like, Dad, Dad, blah blah blah. I'm being chased by cops. I have this 16th century gold, and his father's like, Count to ten. He's like in Greek. It's just great. He's just like making his son learn Greek and his son's such an adventurer and he's a bookworm and all he wants is to find the Holy Grail. The Holy Grail. Right. Yeah. yeah. Why? Just wants wants it. I guess. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I ever got an explanation. It's just like his life's mission. Are you aware of the Grail? Did uh do you know if Joseph Campbell ever commented on movies? I've I've heard him talk about Star Wars um, okay. in the Bill Moyers interview um, okay. for, that was published as uh, The Power of Myth. Uh-huh. And yeah, they go into Star Wars quite a bit, and I think he talks about a few other movies. Okay, just because, I mean, it's so funny. He, he 
wrote and knew so much about mythology, but obviously in our modern age, so much of our mythology comes through film. Yeah. And uh, I just wonder, because I know he also, as a younger man, he studied some of the mythology he studied was medieval grail mythology about the Holy Grail. So I would have loved to have hear his, heard his thoughts on Indiana 3. Indiana 3, yeah. Mm-hmm. Monty Python. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know much about grail mythology. Me neither. I mean, it's very, uh, it seems really alchemical, right? It's kind of like the same concept as the Philosopher's Stone. Yeah, I think it, you're right. That it grants eternal life. I think that's... Some mythologies, but it has the Christ connection. I think that, it, yeah, I think that's right. Huh. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe early Christians murdered a bunch of pagans and learned of their philosopher's stone myth and they just took it and turned it into a christ myth could have been yeah it's possible there are many pagans murdered were there um yeah yeah just throughout throughout history oh Oh, yeah i mean (laughs) i wasn't sure if you had like a specific like specific event in in mind or something like that ah yeah yeah um hmm. there's a few that come to mind i think pretty much uh the history of colonialism (laughs) just finding any non-monotheistic like indigenous group and mass murdering them and destroying their um artifacts and uh just their calendars and their literature literature anything any remnants of it yeah that happened a few yeah, for times. some reason I was <laughs> yeah, just a handful. Uh, for some reason I was stuck. For some reason on like early, I was like early history, like th- the year three hundred. I was like, what happened? But you're right. Hmm. <laughs> Leonidas, he was a father. Leonidas. Yeah, is he a father? I think so. I think he had father a father of Sparta. Hmm. For sure, absolutely, yeah. the spiritual warlike father. <laughs> now, the opposite of a spiritual warlike father would be uh, George McFly. Ooh, you know what? I It's been a long time since I've seen um, Back to the Future, so please tell me about Crispin Glover. Crispin Glover. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's pretty, pretty wimpy and uh, very afraid of Biff. And um, yeah, Marty basically has to counsel him throughout throughout his entire time in the past in order to gain the courage to to like approach his mother so that he will be able to continue to exist and not disappear from the photographs ah what a loop (laughs) what a loop what did your time didn't you take a philosophy of time course in college yeah Uh uh-huh what did your professor because i know you talked about he talked about films yeah it's, it's funny. This is like one of these moments of like the things you remember from a class. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember a single philosopher that this guy taught me. It was very much in like the analytic, logical positivism tradition, mm-hmm. which yeah. I didn't end up like going down. Yeah. And it was my first semester of philosophy. But yeah, I remember him talking about time travel. And I only remember him talking about movies. And he ridiculed Back to the Future and <laughs> said it was completely incoherent the time travel logic and he also ridiculed uh terminator cameron mm-hmm. and he said the uh the only movie with a consistent time travel logic was bill and ted's excellent adventure <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing Which, yeah indicated to me that this guy probably smoked pot <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't remember any philosopher this guy talked about, but I remember that, and I remembered he would sit on the desk in a cross-legged position, and you know how, um, like, Men when have you balls. have... <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> like... <laughs> Yeah, there's always something in like a masculine masculine culture where that like was not something you should do mm. or be able to do. Um but like there was a way of doing it where your legs kind of angled enough. It's like almost like a 45 degree angle mm-hmm. where it's like okay, like that that's cool. But then there's a particular way where your two shins are essentially like right next to each other like they're crossed to such a degree where the yeah. leg crossed over is like almost vertical and I remember this guy sat like that. That's I I know exactly what you're talking about. I've always been a man. I'm like, how is the hell is that physically possible? Yeah, one leg goes <laughs> over the other and then just basically hangs straight down. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The physics, the physics of that mm-hmm. is confounding. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. Yeah, analytic philosophy. I have never read much of it, but I'm just like, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah. Let's write a book about a word. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's, uh, and it's, I mean, when I was studying philosophy, it was like the big, the main academic tradition in the States. Yeah. And I would imagine it still is. Like, that shit doesn't just, like, change. Like, continental philosophy, like our boy Heidegger, mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, many, many others are, were kind of, like, frowned upon. And yeah. And it's like, dumb. Yeah, they're like, oh, <laughs> they come up with these, like, wacky ideas, and they don't even, yeah. they don't even they're justify even- them through the use of language mathematics yeah. <laughs> logical proofs yeah yeah it's like it's so fuck? american you know it's just like yeah well fuck the europeans this is how we do it and this is truth yeah and like this is grounded in science so true but then you have you have the yeah. tradition that actually came both before analytic and technically speaking continental philosophy and but sort of um almost foreshadowed some of the problems that would later be brought up in analytic philosophy, and that is the American pragmatists, a.k.a. your other professor's boy, William James. William James. <laughs> yeah, Professor Rohatton. Good name. Good name. Good beard. Mm. Loved William James. Nice. Quite possibly the most knowledgeable man I've ever encountered in my life. Really? Yeah, one of those guys where you go into his office and... There's at least like six stacks of books that you have to kind of look around mm-hmm. in order to get like a view to where he's sitting. And like, I mean, book, stacks of books on the ground, on the desk, overflowing from bookshelves, just dense, hardback tomes mm-hmm. from decades, decades past. Um, yeah. And at the, there's the clear, you know, you can tell kind of when someone does that for show. Um, that was not the case yeah. with this man. It's like, I bet I could open any of these books and they will be heavily marked up. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty remarkable dude. That's awesome. But uh, yeah, American pragmatists. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a dad quality to them, I feel like. Yeah, you're right. They they all kind of, they have this feeling. Another big one is John Dewey. And they were all like, yeah. they were like, not like crazy. I mean, maybe William James was a little like uh, maybe the craziest of the bunch because he liked, he experimented with like mescaline and stuff, I think. Nitrous oxide, yeah. Ah, okay. Probably, yeah, he might have gone on to do mescaline. I know Aldous Huxley did mm. mes- mescaline, but yeah, he was like, he was really a, the trailblazer for like consciousness exploration through these substances. Yeah, it's so interesting. Like, because I've read some of his stuff where he's like t- 
giving speeches on that in like 1890. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like that's so early. Right. Like before the interpretation of dreams by Freud. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Super respected, renowned man doing mm-hmm. this. Yeah. If you, if he, if he did mescaline, I would love to read about that. I thought um, I heard I know that. I've read of him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd like to look into that. But yeah, the varieties of religious experience mm-hmm. was um, a key text of his where he was like the first person to um, put psychological and philosophical significance on mystical experience. Yeah. And not just see it as like evident of psychosis or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were really cool. I liked the prag- I took yeah. a course on the pragmatists and I thought they were great. I was like, same. It's like these guys are like, they're saying these like simple ideas without overcomplicating things and also being like, hey, we're open to being wrong. It's like, oh, cool. Right. <laughs> like, we could be right. We could be wrong. I, I hope we're right. We'll yeah. see. Yeah. Here's some thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> now, speaking of religious experience, that made me think of a particular dad that you mentioned that uh, I found uh, quite quite clever. God from the Passion of the Christ. God. God the Father. <laughs> God the Father, who really doesn't make an appearance in the Passion in the, of the Christ. In the Passion? No, it's... It's hardly even alluded to, maybe maybe actually in some in some of the dialogue, but um just sort of there. Kind of a constant continual presence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um Yeah. Kind of hands off. <laughs> like you don't really hands off kind of dad. It's like kind of a hands off kind of dad. Just like let's yeah. we'll, we'll just let this play out. Um Right. And uh the devil's there, for sure. <laughs> Yes, the devil is there mm-hmm. as a, a snake and an androgynous mm-hmm. pale being, right? Exactly, yeah. Hmm. Um, definitely one of my favorites is at the beginning of that movie when Jesus kills the snake. It's like, uh, <laughs> you, you do realize that's just a snake. <laughs> I mean, like snakes. Probably part of God's creation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they're a little scary. Some are venomous, but like it was just an innocent snake. <laughs> And you stomped on its head. Yeah. Like you are, you are God incarnate. Like, shouldn't you be nice to creation? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause God, the father is also this, this, uh, Caviezel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. Jim Caviezel, Talk JC. Yeah. JC. Yeah. Apparently in his audition, after the audition, he said, by the way, my, I'm 33 years old and my initials are JC. Because the legend goes that Jesus, Jesus Christ, JC, uh, Christ was his last name, by the way. Uh, <laughs> right, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, but apparently he died when he was 33. Ah. So Jim Caviezel. Uh, yeah. oh, Jim Caviezel. I'm a month shy of 33. Are you 33? No, I'm I'm likewise a few weeks shy. Your birthday's in early Jan- January? Yeah, it's the second. Second. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're even closer. That's right. Do you think that uh, one or both of us will die this year? It's possible. Yeah. Definitely possible. Certainly possible, yeah. depending on depending on who the Judases in our lives are, for sure. Right. Who's the Judas in your life? Yeah. That's a good question to consider, listener. Mm-hmm. Or if it's um, the Keitel version of Judas from The Last Temptation of Christ, he might be your best pal. Helping True. you toward your destiny. Yeah. You're a big fan of the Kaitel Judas, aren't you? Big fan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Scorsese interpretation of that story in general. Or I guess it's not him, it's from uh, the book by Kasantzakis. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
Yeah, which I only know because of uh, the Chris Farley show when he interviews Martin Scorsese That's right. and asks about it. Yeah. And, yeah. It's, a, it's, it's from the book. It's from, it's from, from the Bible. From the Bible. Yeah. The, from the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> <The> stupid. <laughs> um, I, I know I've been sending yeah. you all sorts of pictures and videos of him, but are you familiar with the philosopher Slava Zizek? Um, I am basically through the pictures and videos that you've sent and from the fact that I've I've heard of him consistently for at least a decade. Yeah. <laughs> he's a man who baffles me and yeah. I'm intrigued to hear what you have to say. He's so interesting. He always has some interesting take on something and he thinks that The Last Temptation of the Christ is like the best Christian movie possible. Um, huh. If I'm correct, if I'm interpreting him right. And I, I don't remember exactly why, but he... He he's written a lot on something he calls Christian atheism, which I don't fully understand it. I get bits and pieces of, but basically it's this idea that oh, I, I'm I'm losing it. I'm just totally losing it. It's going to be gone. But it all hinges on this idea that um, on the cross Jesus says, you know, my God, why have you forsaken me? And basically, in the process of doing that, he sort of like subverts the order of how humans have related to God for centuries, you know? Um, and by Jesus dying, Jesus basically symbolizes the death of God, you know, two, you know, 1800 years before Nietzsche. And, um, and somehow in that he, I, I see, I, I'm like totally losing it. But for that reason, because this strange kind of humanistic, almost anti theistic, view of Christianity that he, that he takes. I don't know if he believes this or it's just an interpretation. He loves the, the last temptation of the Christ because it is a Jesus much more in line with that idea. Hmm. As opposed to just like this, uh, overly perfect guy in like the more general description or depictions. The exactly. It's like, because if I remember the last temptation correctly, it's this like, I don't even, I, it's so, it's so confusing. It's so interesting. But the last 50 minutes of that movie are like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. He's having like a getting married hallucination yeah. kind of experience. Um, I think, um, when he's about to die, it's like the last temptation is him getting all these visions or maybe even like having the experience of being a normal person, mm -hmm. a dad. In fact, you're right. Like, has kids is married to like Mary Magdalene and like kind of all the things that this particular depiction of Jesus kind of wants, mm -hmm. but he's also wrestling back and forth throughout the movie of like, am I crazy or like, does this, am I really supposed to do this? Like, yeah, do I have to? And, um, yeah, like kind of ask, has Judas like give him over, mm -hmm. um, who d reluctantly does so. And yeah, he has to like, overcome that final temptation in order to uh, well Defoe says it is accomplished mm. after that <laughs> Defoe Defoe kind of voice Defoe as Jesus the only man to play Jesus and the Green Goblin <laughs> it's that, at least that I'm aware of <laughs> so okay you know one of my favorite memes right now online is is the Willem Dafoe? I'm I'm somewhat of a scientist myself. Name? <laughs> Are you familiar yeah. with those? Yeah, you said we was. <laughs> those are so funny. 
Is it like just some absurd claim and then at the bottom is William Defoe? I'm something of a scientist myself. Yes, but sometimes people will even replace the word scientist. Um, I can't think of an example, but you know, I'm some, I'm somewhat of a chef myself. Like you know, if someone showed a picture of like raw chicken, be like, look at this medium rare chicken. You're like, I'm somewhat of a chef myself. So <laughs> yeah. I love memes. <laughs> what a hilarious <laughs> sentence. I totally agree, but it's just such a funny sentence. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <sighs> It's tough to top God in terms of dads. Yeah. Um, any uh, going through this list that you know, like do a little 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 rapid fire of some of the remainders that should at least get a mention. Um, Sean Lawler. That one made me laugh a lot. <laughs> Sean Lawler. Yeah. The, you, yeah. Why don't you tell him? Tell everyone who that is. Yeah, yeah. So, listener, that is my name, Sean Lawler. And um, if you Google that name, you'll find that there's an actor named Sean Lawler, and his biggest role was playing William Wallace's father in Braveheart. Yep. And then yeah. he died, and, and William Wallace was uh, adopted by his uncle Argyle, played by Brian Cox. Brian Cox. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, crazy old man. <laughs> Who now does voiceover for McDonald's commercials. Whoa. Yeah. Huh. When I think of Brian Cox, I think of what I imagine you also think of when you think of Brian Cox, and that is him in the movie Adaptation. Screaming. Giving a presentation about stories, playing Robert McKee, and screaming at Nicolas Cage as Charlie Kaufman <laughs> about how bad his movie sounds, which is the movie that we are watching. <laughs> I think it's one of the funniest scenes ever. Yeah, that movie got like lambasted a little bit for being like too clever and too pretentious or whatever, like too meta. Mm, but I just mm. think it's fucking so brilliant. There's so many details in there too that once you watch the third or fourth time, you realize they're like he's referencing things at the end of the movie that would make for a great movie, and then you see that at the beginning, it's like oh, clever. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's so. He's like, I, like, I don't fucking have time for it. Right? Why would I watch your movie? Like he screams at the top of his lungs. He's deeply, deeply upset. <laughs> like Charlie Kaufman say, like essentially, what about a movie that doesn't have a story? <laughs> oh, so good. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, I think the only, the only. Well, I, I think the one dad that I just need to give honorable mention to is Chris Cooper from American Beauty. Mm. Um, yeah, he, I think that's one of the best performances ever. He like Chris, Chris Cooper is, he, he's, everyone knows he's a good actor, but also he's not like super famous, but he is just, oh, he's from adaptation. He was an adaptation. Play, amazing right. role in adaptation. Totally. Much different. Way different. Yeah. Amazing. Not a complete, like horrible psychopath. Although, yeah, I mean, in a, you know, that's a, it's a dismissive way to d- talk about his character in American Beauty. He's not just a complete psychopath. He's mm-hmm. that, that character I find so interesting because he's he's complex, but also kind of not um, mm-hmm. like in a way he's just a kind of familiar archetype. Like he's the embodiment of um, like the repression, Freudian repression. Yeah. Um, and just the, like creating a persona 
um, mm-hmm. around basically your shadow because he, we learn throughout the movie that he's gay or at least has interest in um, being with a man, but he is so just <laughs> unbelievably aggressively anti-gay in every way, like just mm-hmm. tries to embody every everything you possibly could embody about like being a man. And anything outside of that deserves a beating, a good whooping, as he <laughs> unleashes on his son, Ricky, at least once, maybe multiple times. Yeah. 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 It's, it's crazy. He is, he's so, there's just every scene he's in, it's like you, it's, it's like he's going to pop. Like it just, he, Chris Cooper does such a good job of like conveying that feeling. Of just being so on the edge of explosion. Yes. At, at every moment. It's like he's not shaking, yeah. but it looks like he is. Right. You don't know, like, like anything you say could, like, incite it. Like, totally. Yeah, spark spark the explosion. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's just kind of looking back on it. It's, it's so interesting that he also collects Nazi memorabilia. You know, so, like, you can, huh. you can imagine where he'd be politically today. Like, he, I mean, he's in the, the American military, so it's not like he's, you know, whatever. And, quote unquote a Nazi like in the like German sense, but he he seems like someone who would be ultra ultra right wing, just mm-hmm. totally authoritarian. Right. Yeah, militants mm-hmm. like yeah. To a very uh frightening level yeah. of casting entire populations and identities into the enemy. Um <laughs> But yeah, it's just these, his whole way of being is, is just his own like protection of himself, Mm -hmm. like his own way of fighting off anything that could possibly arise within himself that threatens this, uh, persona of just being such a, a man, such a, such a fucking strong masculine man. And it just like destroys him. It turns him into a crazy person who murders Kevin Spacey. He's also a dad. And, um, wow. But yeah, there's like the, this, it's tragic too, because you, know, you think about this guy's background and like what created this, this way of being and like what his parents were like and what the military did to him and just how inter and how much he internalized yeah. these external messages to such an incredibly aggressive degree because that's kind of like Freudian repression is like turning the id, like the aggressive energy against the ego Mm. and, um, or no, that it's, I guess it'd be the ego turning, I don't know, some kind of internalization of this primal aggression that isn't allowed to be expressed externally. I just think he's, he's so horrifying. He scares me. Yeah. He's highly unnerving. He's as unnerving as the mouth of Sauron's mouth uh, from the Return of the King. <laughs> yeah, when the, the uh, it's like that. There's a storm at the end of the movie, and mm-hmm. Kevin Spacey's like lifting weights in his garage and opens the garage door slowly, and Chris Cooper's just like standing there mm-hmm. in the rain, and you're just like, "Is this dude about to kill him? Like, what's he about to do?" And he just ends up kissing him and then kills him after that. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then kills him. Right. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite the dad there. Quite the dad. Hmm. I got to mention um, one that I, I forgot to put on the list but kept bouncing through my mind. Um, Lawrence Fishburne from Boys in the Hood as uh, oh, yeah. Furious, Furious Styles. Just thinking about a classic good film dad. Just, He's a great uh, dad. Yeah, yeah, great dad. Got to thank uh, friend and listener Greg Buckman who came on the podcast mm-hmm. for our episode on Boys in the Hood and taught us some stuff about 90s LA culture and um mm-hmm. yeah, just the the lack of father figure in like African American stories and myths and um in in the America and and in that movie too, like the lack of a father figure for like several of these characters, but he's he kind of like yeah. is this father figure for like several of the kids and he's like kind of balances mm-hmm. the the street smarts like he's just respected by people. Yeah, a father figure of a different different world than the one that we occupy. Yeah, very much. And I mean he wants he wants what's best for uh for his son and but but realizes like not just in like an abstract way cuz he sees daily like what the opposite road could be and Right. He's he has such like a a sternness to him that's like not authoritarian. You know, like he's very scared and upset when Cuba shows him the gun that he has. And I he's like there's a certain disappointment that's like just a really great scene. Right. Yeah. Just respectable guy. Mm-hmm. Very much. Then I gotta give a shout out to uh to Fasa, Mufasa. <laughs> Yeah, he. I mean, he's a king. He's great. He uh, teaches <laughs> Jones, James Earl Jones. James Earl Jones. Yeah, he's like the anti Vader. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. He's killed by that dick, Jeremy Irons. Yeah, fucking asshole. The Lion King is so good. Oh yeah, Mufasa drops some wisdom from the stars. Mm-hmm. The one shamanic thing... moment. <laughs> one of my least favorite thing about the Lion King. I don't think Matthew Broderick was a good choice for old Simba or for, you know, Ah, it's just, yeah, he didn't capture, he didn't capture it for me. Yeah. Was it like you're too, uh, too Broderick aware or something or it's just, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) that's definitely part of it. Too Broderick aware. Um, Mm -hmm. also just Matthew Broderick's voice didn't have the authority. It was always timid. And I know that, that, yeah. Simba has a certain timidness, but I just didn't work for me for some reason. Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. Because um, he has a certain timidness, but then he moves into, you know, once he uh, once he rectifies with Mufasa within, mm-hmm. he kind of becomes the new Mufasa. Yeah, but he's still got that Broderick voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm like, I think we need something else here. Yeah. Hmm. Now I know what it is. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, we definitely didn't need another Lion King, but they gave us one anyways. They did. They John gave Favreau us one. John Favreau did. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I think I, yeah. I think I am movie dadded out, but I will D- say dadded out. Yeah, I think I think I've learned a lot of lessons from these dads. Mm-hmm. I think so too. Hopefully, they Hopefully can teach d- me. Oh, go ahead. I was, I was gonna say, hopefully, our listener did too, and 
Yeah. Yeah. What were you? What were you gonna say? I was just gonna say, you know, hopefully I can learn to, um, be, uh, you know, to be noble, to be caring, to be willing to cry. Even strong men cry. You know, we know that Even from the Big Lebowski. Yeah. Uh, but hopefully I'm not uh, authoritarian. Hopefully I don't repress too much. Right. <laughs> um, just find a nice yeah. Coach Yost balance. Yeah, exactly. A Yost. Once we get it, yeah. Yost. Yeah. Coach Yost is a good dad to his daughter. <laughs> yeah, a great T-shirt would be "I'm in the Yost zone." <laughs> yep. The Yost zone is both left side and strong side. <laughs> wow, that's great. Yep. It would, of course, be spelled Yost, Y-O-S-H-T, but zone, zone, I think, should be spelled like Z-H-O-N-E, Yost zone. Yost zone. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you, Will yeah. Patton from Remember the Titans, mm-hmm. for giving us this performance to laugh about yes. at the end here. Yes. So, well, thank you so much, listener, for going on this journey, this dad journey, and... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> We wish you all the best in your parental uh, responsibilities, whatever they might be, to a the- to a friend, to a pat, a pat, to a dog. I meant to a pat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's uh, that reminds me of this little sticker that I found floating around my grad campus last year that some friends and I laughed at, and it's just this a really bad picture of a grill, and it says "Be your own dad" on it. <laughs> that's hilarious so so my final message to you listener is be your own dad be your own dad yep till next time till next time bye bye there's a feeling my life's been shaken out of control it's arising from the depths of meaning I'll never know there's a feeling that shines in the front of my mind I'm gonna speak it out at the fireside And in the morning we'll all be snobbing the whole way home